Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Uh, this is part 2 of our Homo sapiens chat with Katie Lang. If you haven't heard part 1, Please do go back to the feed, play that. And if you have heard part one, here it is. Here's part two. You said that your album after Angenou was deliberately, not deliberately, those weren't your words, but you liked that it didn't sell as well. Yeah, it was like a great leveler. But then years later, I realized that the way the system works If you sell a million (laughs) records or two million records, then in the system of record companies and marketing, you sell two million records. But then you put a terrible record out and you sell 38 copies. Then marketing and everything sees that you sell 38 copies. So you're only as good as your last sales. It's sabotage. I managed to sabotage things pretty well without record. Do you regret that? I mean, I I don't like regrets, but... Or do you think that was what had to happen at the time? I regret not having all the information or having the comprehension that I needed to have. Mm. But I certainly don't regret the artistic decision to work with Gus Van Zandt and mm. Uma Thurman and Rain Phoenix and making, or you're talking all you can eat. Because actually I followed it up with even Cowgirls Get the Blues, right? Is that the record oh, you're yeah, talking sorry. about? Oh, yeah, sorry. I was talking yeah. about all you can eat. Sorry, my apologies. Yeah. There was a couple there, a couple stinkers there. <laughs> they really weren't stinkers. No, but, I don't think know. so. I don't think so. But in terms of public, uh, you know, success, it was they were big old stinkers. Look, you don't need to hear this from me, but the birthplace of stinkers and massive hits is risking being different. They actually come from the same place. And no one's mm-hmm. going to encourage you to do that ever because they want what? Ed Sheeran just released or whatever the last thing was so it's beholden on you to be the only person who says we are doing this and it is weird (laughs) it is weird yeah you're absolutely right because they no one knows nobody knows nobody knows the answer which is in fact I think is very freeing also sort of terrifying if you think a little too long but very freeing right yeah I mean there are times when you definitely want to call up that one person that can say maybe you shouldn't put that record out just now (laughs) but nobody knows and everybody thinks that the artist knows because they just came off a tremendous amount of success so they must have a vision Mm. but that vision has to be recontextualized every time based on where you are and now we're selling out arenas so what's arena music and what's you know yeah exactly i wrote this in my bedroom what? <laughs> yeah. 
Did you have anyone like that? You know, Ben was probably mm-hmm. my writing partner, Ben Mank at the time. Yeah. But, you know, even in retrospect, he goes, oh, you shouldn't have, you know, worn the 69 shirt in the video or something like that. And it's completely hypothetical and stupid. <laughs> Going back to that um, Cindy Crawford cover, which I skipped off because I got sidetracked by haircuts. What I wanted to ask you was, while that was iconic and it was your idea, do you feel like there was something about that cover, which was that they sort of didn't know what to do with you. So they did that, which was like, oh, this person is different. So we need to put a supermodel in the picture. And do you think that wouldn't happen now? Or do you think that that was absolutely right? And as it should be? I think I wouldn't have made it on the cover of Vanity Fair. I was definitely going to be in a nice sized article, but I don't know if I would have made the cover if Herb hadn't have chosen mm. Cindy. But the fact that Herb was gay and he, mm. we were really good friends, um, I felt that his informed understanding of how the magazine worked and how visuals worked, imagery worked, that I felt comfortable with it. I felt that it was the right thing to do. And certainly now when I look back at the photograph, I feel a great sense of pride. I feel like it has absolute integrity and I feel like it still is provocative. And even though we've blown way past uh, gender role playing, I still think it's super powerful and beautiful. And it is. And what is it about it that is so provocative about that gender play? Is it power? It is, but in a feminine way. I I think that lesbianism still scares the absolute shit out of everyone, still. Agreed. You know, I think the fact that Cindy was dressed in a sort of a heterosexual male fantasy Mm. way, or the aspect of that, you know, in a teddy with long hair and stilettos, kind of made it okay because you know as long as it sort of titillates the straight male fantasy of lesbianism it's it's okay yes but i think that the fact that we all knew like i knew cindy and i knew herb and i think the fact that we could convey something that went past porn (laughs) yeah lesbianism (laughs) that um it had some substance to it and some truth to it and when we say that lesbianism still scares people, scares the hell out of people, what do you think that is? I don't know exactly, but I think it has to do with the patriarch, and I think it has to do with masculinity, and I think it has to do with, you know, because we can have drag queens, and we have lots of lots of examples of drag queens being you know, drag race, RuPaul's drag Mm. race and drag race, Canada and lots of drag stuff out in the world. But when a woman embodies the male energy, that is a trigger. Mm. And I think it's because, I don't know, I think it just goes too far for where we're at yet. Do you feel there are places where you have seen that improve, let's say over the past 20 years or Because I don't know whether it has. I don't think it has, to to be honest. Mm. Because, you know, there are a lot of gay people, a lot of lesbians out. out, But 
you know, real butch lesbianism and real lesbianism is still pretty closeted. Like if you see a lesbian couple on a bank ad, for example, Mm. they're both pretty attractive, pretty neutral gender. Yes. You know, they're pretty on the feminine side, but, you know, hip and beautiful. But there's there's not a lot of, um, you know, super butch women out there that can be seen. It's interesting, isn't it, how we basically police femininity and masculinity. Especially femininity, I think. Mm. I meant in the context of lesbianism, especially women being masculine. I think we police that big time. Yes. My version of that, which enables me to see the version you're speaking about, is that my feminine, me as a man, my femininity is policed a lot. Even while I've been here in Australia, like people have commented on things I've done. And I've taken the time to say, just so you know, I'm fine with that. And I don't need it commenting on, you know, I say it calm, you know, I say it nicer than that, but I feel beholden on me to call it out. Um, You know, like, oh, that wasn't a very masculine catch. And I was like, I don't think I chose, don't think I was seeking to catch it in a masculine way. I was seeking to catch it, you know, um, and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I see exactly what you're saying about lesbianism and it's, it, it's the, it's always had this, ever since I was a kid, do you remember films like Bound or Tipping the Velvet? You know, that kind of titillation of female intimacy that was for the straight male eye worked. And for some reason, it felt like maybe that was enough. And therefore, lesbianism, tick, everyone's mm-hmm. okay with it. Because men find it hot. Yeah. Whereas women don't find man or man action hot so that's not a thing but it all is it has to be policed through the male eye i suppose like when you said the patriarchy it has to be yeah has to cross the desk of the patriarchy and get a tick which is so odd because none of this stuff is written down (laughs) someone's made it up who who? no and it's actually not even as clear-cut as even what we've pointed out because Mm human sexuality is so complex and fluid because that I don't even know if that's true that women don't find two men on men sex um yes intriguing because I actually think that we as universes as individual personal universes we have our things we have our fantasies and we may never express to any other human being what they are mm. and you know, I kind of feel like sometimes they're absolute opposite to who we portray in the society. Mm. So, Yeah, I've definitely found it extremely liberating in life to always say the thing that I think no one else will think. Because I think everyone, there's always someone who goes, <laughs> me too, you know. I think that's to do with trying to fit into boxes. A bit like I was saying when I came out and told my friends I won't be that kind of gay person. It's like trying to find your version of your queerness that is palatable and making sure that... Yeah, that- which which is constantly changing, by the way. I mean, still, it's still changing for me. Your version of your own... Just my relationship to my sexuality just keeps shifting and changing and kind of fading and then rising. I mean, it's all over the map. As it should be, right? I think so, yeah. I think that seems natural. Do you find that 
having asked you about your sexuality for 15 minutes, do you find that you get tired of talking about it? Or do you feel like you now are able to talk about it in a way that is met with understanding and love and acceptance? I think it really just depends on the context of the conversation. Mm. I definitely get tired of talking about it when I'm trying to talk about music. But if we're talking about sexuality and politics and my experience in it, Mm. in the music business as a gay person, yeah, no, I don't get tired of talking about it because it's a fascinating journey. And I think it's hopefully helpful to people. So it's it's so depends on the yeah it's so helpful to people i think it can't be underestimated that still today you are this pillar for lesbian women and there really aren't many as many as there should be other visible people who have well you know again i don't know if it's because we don't have the necessity or because society doesn't want it or maybe a little bit of both i don't know does what, you know, LGBT people say to you these days, is that different to what it used to be? You know, if someone comes up to you in the street or if you have an interaction with a fan or, you know, I wondered if that was different now to what it used to be. Well, definitely the demographic has changed as I got older. I mean, young kids don't have a clue who I am. Um, <laughs> I just, I, you know, just in general, just people thank me and tell me how important my music was to them or how important the imagery of Vanity Fair was and that they could come out to their parents by going, like, listen to her sing. See, she's gay. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny because Cameron Esposito, do you know her? No. Anyway, she's a delight. She's a queer woman. And uh, she tweeted that Vanity Fair cover Mm -hmm. when you were just saying about young people. She said, to any young people who do not know about this photo, here it is. Look it up. Study it because it's important. Yeah, but but I find that the gay culture in general is ageist mm. and is really missing out on some very important history and richness by just always focused on now and that we're the queer ones. We're the queerest. We're the mm. we're the ones fighting the fight. And it's like, oh no, actually when I even when I came out, it was like there's Stonewall and before that it was Cherry Grove and like, you know, it went all back and back and back and back. Mm. And I think that that does a tremendous disservice to the gay community to not fully embrace elders and history and promote that sort of richness in our community Mm. that's why i always said when people said what is it like to represent the gay community i'm like i don't represent the gay community i represent this much of the gay community and when you say this much that's me that's katie lang i represent katie lang and you don't speak for everybody no there's no way what do you think the we're not going to get to the answer on this zoom call but what would the project be that could try and amend what you're talking about? Because it is something that comes up a lot. And I know that there's someone called Jack Guinness who started a thing called the Queer Bible, which is it's on Instagram. And oh. it's sort of trying to alert people to queer history. And, you know, here is the um, he's done a book. But, you know, I think that's been a really brilliant project that's brought a lot of good things to people's attention yeah well i mean there's books and there's been some great documentaries michael bauer's documentary on hollywood and 
um, you know, just individual seniors. Like, I can't remember. I think it's called Secret Love. I can't remember what the movie's called, but just documentation. And, um, but again, these, these get published or they get released and they, they're seen as extremely niche and they get burped out for a minute and then they go away. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we need to have like a, you know, central intelligence to store all the, all the history of queerness. I, I don't, I don't know where that would be. Well, they're building a bricks and mortar LGBT museum in London. I know that. Oh, are they? Oh, that's, that's a start. I think it's called the Queer Archive and it's the first bricks and mortar place to do that. And I think that's brilliant. It's cool, isn't it? And there's a guy called Adam Eli who we interviewed who wrote this book called The New Queer Conscience, which is about using his Judaism as a template for what queer people could do for each other and how mm-hmm. his words are, you know, Jews show up for each other when something happens. And queer people need to learn that actually they are interconnected all over the world and they can show up for each other and support each other because generationally we don't have the intergenerational thing that you do with like Judaism for example you know if your mother's Jewish you become Jewish but it doesn't really happen like that and I thought that was a really interesting point as to why we feel like we're in the now all the time because you don't have your elders or there isn't an instant connection maybe it's that as well oh yeah that's fascinating. I'm I'm fascinated by that because I I definitely apply my Buddhism to my understanding of of queerness. Really? For sure. How do they connect? Um well, I guess the overarching theme would be that sexuality and even gender itself is just conceptual. Mm. That it doesn't actually exist. So, I mean, sort of take it from there. Mm. The other thing that I think is a strong link is compassion. Yes. I've been preaching that for a while to the gay community mm. because compassion for each other but all and for ourselves, number mm. one, but also for the people who don't accept our lifestyle and how we need to display and express compassion mm. and how that will move us forward. And a lot of that has to do with the foundation of our history so it's all interconnected i think what next as we come to an end what's next for you now aside from more compassion more compassion i mean that that's the bottom line more compassion more buddhist practice um i'm not feeling the music business at all so that's why (laughs) things like putting out a remix (laughs) compilation is perfect for me so lovely to chat to you and thank you for everything you've done for everybody for so many years it's been such a delight my pleasure and i'm happy to be a part of the team amazing 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 i hope you enjoyed that as much as i did what a delight it was i really hope she isn't done with music that's all i can say she's just great fun really lovely wish we could have spoken more about buddhism actually because i'd love to know more about that but such a she's got such an interesting perspective on everything and really interesting to hear about how with the um her brits photo for vanity fair that she did with cindy crawford you know i felt felt like i was kind of schooled on her approach to that and how i was coming from the wrong angle there and she kind of corrected me and i was really interested in that yeah fascinating thank you kd thank you listeners for listening there you go that's the word we want to know what you think of it 
Uh, so get in touch. Hello at homo sapienspodcast.com, at homo sapiens on Instagram, at homo sapiens podcast on Facebook. And please, if you do rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, it really helps. And then we pick review of the week. You could win a Homo sapiens t-shirt. And if you'd like to buy a Homo sapiens t-shirt or a Homo sapiens sweater, you can simply go to everpress.com forward slash Homo sapiens. And all funds at the moment will be going at the time of print will be going to the Albert Kennedy Trust. Loads of love to you listeners. Thank you so much. Stay in touch. We love hearing from you. Bye-bye. 